This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey, girl, hey. Hey, hey, hey. So let's see how this recording goes. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. We're having a lot of technical difficulties. <laughs> and by technical difficulties, we just have not had good luck today. I think today is just an awful, awful day. <laughs> it's a terrible, no good, very bad day. It's Alexander's day. Wasn't it Alexander? It, yes. <laughs> a- it was Alexander in the terrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah. But maybe it's going to perk up because I'm going to tell you about murder. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. That's going to be Parker. Perky. So, okay. I think, I think we have all of our technical junk fixed. I don't Hopefully. know. Fingers it, crossed. It, it popped up that my connection is unstable. So that's a good sign, right? <laughs> I know. I'm sure so many people are probably sick and tired of hearing glitchiness sometimes, but that's what happens when you record 575 miles apart. Okay. I was going to say 600, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so bear with us, but yes. Okay. I, I don't, I don't really have any thing new either (laughs) I knew you were about to say it so I'll just say either because I don't have anything anything fun I mean I've got I've got the normal did you hear that truck mom stuff no I didn't okay good maybe they they wouldn't hear it either there's just like I mean I'm in my shed my she shed my she shed and there's a road right behind our house and sometimes really really loud obnoxious redneck trucks drive up and down that road at night that's fun and it just happened but if y'all can't hear it cool it's just gonna annoy me (laughs) well I live in southeast Kansas where um basically the thing to do is to cruise around town and around the Sonic and rev up your truck as loud as possible too so I feel you yeah I worked at that Sonic for a brief moment (laughs) during one summer yeah I mean like two and a half days maybe three and I just went ahead and was like, I'm gonna head out because, <laughs> and I've never quit a job, but I was just, I cannot math. Well, every, every day I ended up owing Sonic money because I don't think you did. Honestly, they just our Sonic is me. so, our <laughs> they, Sonic is so bad that the, the management like doesn't even know how to count. So don't feel bad. <laughs> well, they just expected me to math like on the fly. I'd be like, here's your total. And they'd hand me money. And then I'm supposed to like try to figure out the math and so then I'm just like here just take all this back and so then I would just like owe them every day <laughs> I guess I'm just used to always counting money back well, um, I can't do it I don't math <laughs> I just I just count it back so I guess I'm I'm all right you're like I, I guess I'm better home. than you <laughs> I didn't want to say it but <laughs> no. I will tell everyone right now everyone is better than me at math so there's that all right well it's my turn this week. It is. It is. It's my turn. turn. And I'm excited to tell you about this one. It was fun, not fun, but it was very interesting to research. First and foremost, I have to apologize for my episode 
I was so all over the place last week <laughs> because I was so sick. Oh, I was going to say you did end up having strep like we talked about. It was bad. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't even just strep. I actually had strep an ear infection and a sinus infection. Oh gosh. <laughs> so I was literally just dying. So like, I still decided to record and I swear I missed like some of my notes that I had noted too. <laughs> you literally told me you're like, I'm pretty sure I skipped a few paragraphs. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did. So basically every one of our listeners that listened to last episode, if you're like, yeah, but you're missing this and this and this. Yeah, I did. Uh, and I apologize. <laughs> and like, I <laughs> will never do that again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is my bad. That is it's probably the worst, w- <laughs> the worst episode that I've, I've done. So I'm going to be better. <laughs> oh my God. I think you, you pushed through it pretty well for being so with all the things going on. So it was ridiculous. Anywho, continue. <laughs> Any Hoosier. So I am going to cover a one of a kind kind of killer situation. Oh, okay. um, you don't hear about this kind of behavior in a serial killer like ever. It's very unique. So I'm just going to get into it this week. I am covering Paul Michael Stefani, aka the weepy voiced killer which I think is the best name for a serial killer because I always get mad when they try to like give them some kind of cool badass name. But when you say the weepy voice, all I can think of is moaning Myrtle. Okay. (laughs) Kind of. It's kind of moaning Myrtle. So (laughs) (laughs) moaning Myrtle. So I'm going to, don't, don't you fret. I'll explain to you how he's moaning Myrtle. You'll get it. So here we go. Um, so I'm going to just, those were weird words. I'm just going to give a super quick little background on him. Okay. So Paul Michael Stefani was born on September 8th, 1944. So a Virgo, if you're wondering. Because <laughs> we were all just wondering what. You were like, what's his sign? <laughs> what's his sign? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why I do that. He was born in Austin, Minnesota, which I didn't know existed. So hey, Austin, Minnesota. <laughs> did, you, did you notice horoscope too? <laughs> I did not look up the horoscope for his birth date. I did not. Okay. <laughs> so, um, he was the second of 10 kids and grew up on a five acre plot right outside of Austin with his mother, stepfather, and all them siblings. He was raised in what was described in several different sources as a highly religious household. And according to Stefani, his step, this is according to, to Stefani, his stepfather was sometimes abusive. When you say Stefani, I also think of Gwen Stefani. <laughs> so you're really throwing me off. Today. Okay. It's <laughs> definitely not Gwen Stefani. So don't think so that. Gwen Stefani and a mix of moaning Myrtle. Got so it. I can, I can kind of try to say Paul, but in my notes, I'm pretty sure I type Stefani every time I'm talking you're about fine. it. <laughs> I kept thinking of Stefano, who was like the bad guy from Days of Our Lives back in the day. Oh, yes. I forgot all about Stefano. I, I know. Anyways, these are the days of our lives. Which is weird because Gwen <laughs> Stefani is so much more sim- similar than than <laughs> Stefani. Oh, yeah, same last name. Whatevs. <laughs> so continue. According to his fa- according to him, his stepfather was sometimes abusive. Stefani claimed that if any of the children would get in the stepfather's way, he would smack them on the head. Oh, okay. and, and yeah, and sometimes would push them down the stairs. Oh, that's escalated. <laughs> it escalated real quickly. Now, if there's any truth to this, I don't know. Because like I said, these are all just claims from Stefani himself. And they all said allegedly. So I don't usually like just straight up take the word of a serial killer. So I don't know if it's true. 
songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're not, <laughs> sometimes they're not completely truthful. <laughs> sometimes they're not the most reliable source, but there, there you go. After graduating high school, Stefani made his way to St. Paul, Minnesota, where he floated around from various jobs. He worked as a store clerk for a while and a janitor for a little bit. And he worked at Malberg Manufacturing Company for a while, but he was fired in 1977 from that job. Now that company will come back into the story three years later when his first victim was found outside of the machine shop there. During his time moving around from job to job, he met a woman named Beverly Leiter and the two of them eventually got married and had a daughter. Like they hit it off, had this relationship, had a kiddo, but the marriage didn't last and had a kiddo named had... Gwen Stefani. <laughs> no, it was not Gwen Stefani. <laughs> Gwen Stefani, do not come at us. We are not saying your dad's a serial killer. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So the marriage didn't last too long and they got divorced and Beverly and their daughter, not Gwen, moved out. (laughs) Paul felt betrayed by this, by his now ex-wife. And in his mind, she had taken everything away from him. So Paul was no longer in his daughter's life. It was unclear if that was by his choice or by court order. Some sources said that he abandoned them and some said that she left him and took her. So I don't really know. Um, But either way, you'll never know the truth because it's always going to be a hearsay thing too. But I know the truth is that he did not have any contact with her at all. Like he was out of, she was out of his life. He was out of her life. He's like, my life's totally upside down now. He went from this supposedly happily married couple who knows if that's how it was with a new baby to divorced and now that baby's completely out of his life so over the next three years he tried pulling himself together he began dating a woman from syria and he found a new job okay so he's like okay everything's back on track we're getting this going but then suddenly his girlfriend let him know that she was gonna have to end it because she had to go back to syria because she had kind of been promised to be married to a man who lived there Oh yeah, that happens. Yeah. So like an arranged marriage situation. Right. She's like, I have no choice. It's going to happen. So she moved back to Syria. So now in his eyes, his world is turned upside down again. He felt betrayed yet again. And in his mind, it all seemed to start with women. Women were the cause for all of his problems. (laughs) My husband says the same thing. So he felt like he was losing control of his life. And it's theorized that a combination of all of that anger and those mixed feelings of betrayal and having no control over anything in his life caused him to snap violently. Oh, okay. Which is not, that's no bueno. So that's a theory. I don't know if that's what actually happened, but what we know for sure is that soon after all of these sudden life changes, his killings began. So now let's get into the crimes. Okay. Okay. So his first crime took place on New Year's Eve, 1980. At 3 a.m., police received the first of several odd phone calls that they would be getting over the next two years. A nearly hysterical, high-pitched voice was on the line. (laughs) It was moaning Myrtle. (laughs) It was. (laughs) This voice was crying and telling them to hurry and send an ambulance to Pierce Butler Road, Malberg Manufacturing Company, I didn't say that word right. Malberg Manufacturing Company machine shop because a girl was hurt there. When the operator asked what had happened to her, the caller responded, she's lying on the ground in the back by the railroad tracks. So I'm going to try something here. I am going to try to play this clip for you of the phone call. Oh, okay. 
because I feel like you don't really get the whole picture without actually hearing it. Okay, like you don't get the hear, full I'm effect gonna, of I'm moaning Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle. <laughs> right. So I'm going to play it and hopefully everybody can hear it. Okay. I'm trying to get it to the right. I like saved what spot this phone call is at. Okay. I'm going to try it. Let's see here. Here we go. Hopefully this works. Yes, please. This is an emergency. Please send a squad to Pierce Butler Road, Malmberg Manufacturing Company, Machine Shop. Please, there's an ambulance, too. There's a girl hurt there. Can you tell me what happened to her? There's hurry. There's a, she's laying on the ground in the back by the, by the railroad tracks, by the engine. What, what's the address? I don't know. Who are you? So then he hung up. Could you understand oh. it? <laughs> yeah, well, it was a little muffled, but yes, I could understand it. He sounded like he was fake crying. He sounded he sounded like when my kids try to fake cry, and I'm like, right, uh-uh, no, <laughs> I'm like that's so fake. Uh-uh, you're still going to the corner. <laughs> you're still going to the corner. Get your ass in the corner. So, so yeah, the cops were like, "What the fuck was that?" Um, so when they asked who he was, if you can understand it, they're like, "Who's calling? Who are you? Who's calling?" He just hung the phone up. Like super suspicious, but okay. <laughs> who was who was this? Nah, Brian, not giving my name. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to check it out, and when police arrived, they found a gruesome scene. They found 20-year-old Karen Pontac lying naked in the snow. She had been beaten with a tire iron. Oh god. Yeah, and she'd been bludgeoned over 10 times so severely that her skull had been cracked, leaving her brain exposed. Like ah. majorly bludgeoned, real bad. Karen had been out with her sisters that evening at a New Year's Eve party, but she left the party alone shortly after midnight. Like she was like, I'm done. I'm going home. Calling in tonight. And on the way home, she unfortunately crossed paths with Stefani. Now, somehow she survived this attack. Unfortunately, the damage from the assault had left her with multiple brain injuries and she was unable to identify her attacker. This is no doubt. Really I'm sorry. Did you say no doubt? Yes, I did it on purpose. <laughs> this is no doubt an unfortunate event i can't i cannot deal with you (laughs) continue (laughs) okay so police have no leads nothing to go on at all nothing except his voice which will come back into play later his whiny ass little big ass cry that every time my kids do it i'm like (laughs) (laughs) yes that So seven months later, June 3rd, 1981, 18-year-old Kimberly Compton got off of a bus arriving into St. Paul, Minnesota. So she was just moving to town from Wisconsin, and she was planning on spending the day job hunting. Okay. A few hours later, her body would be discovered by a group of teenagers that were hanging out in a field near a freeway construction site. She had suffered multiple wounds to the chest, stomach, and inner thighs. And the medical examiner later determined that she had been stabbed a total of 61 times with an ice pick. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Major overkill. So how do you, how, I'll never understand this for any murderer, whether it's a serial killer or any just murderer at all mm-hmm. that goes overboard and stabs people that it's gotta be fucking exhausting. Okay. I'm just thinking like how many times you have to keep doing it. Like your arm got to hurt. Like seriously, I did a pound class with Shannon. And I did a pound class with both of you and and I died. (laughs) No, you, oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm not talking about pound. I did a Zumba class with Shannon and my arms, not Zumba. Oh my God. Body pump. 
I did a body pump class machine. So that's like weight. So many different freaking things. So many classes. So we're doing the weights and for the next like week, my arms were noodles. Yeah, no, I, I know that my legs and my arms after the pound class that we did killed me for the whole rest of the day. And then the next day, like my legs still burned right too. So just to imagine somebody that sat there and stabbed somebody 61 times, like really insane. So police were unable to find any clues at the crime scene that might lead them in any direction towards the killer. They were stumped. They had nothing. Two days after the murder, they received another phone call. So it was the same high-pitched hysterical voice from before. <laughs> Originally, police thought that this call was a prank call. They're like, no, what, what's happening? What is this? But then something that the man said stood out to them. So in between his wails, he said, I don't know why I had to stab her. I'm so upset about it. I stabbed somebody with an ice pick. Now, this info stuck out because police hadn't released that Kimberly had been stabbed with an ice pick to the media. They just said she'd been stabbed. Oh, so they're like, we're talking to the killer now. Right. They're like, that's a super specific detail for just some rando to know. Like, that's got to be mm. our dude. So once he said this, police were like, oh, shit, we need to trace this call. <laughs> <laughs> right, get this, get this trace. Come on. Right. But the caller hung up before they could do that. Uh. Now, to their surprise, a few hours later, another phone call came in from the same man. So I'm going to try to play that clip for you now. Okay. Don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had this tavern. I am so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every night. I can't believe it. It's like a big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. I'd rather go to a hospital. Or I'd rather I'd rather kill myself than go to a hospital. No, he's saying okay, hang on. Cause I was gonna say that one was a little bit harder to understand. Yeah, and I'm gonna try to see if I can put it in like not from what I'm showing you but like just put it in also let me scroll down because I typed out what he said just in case that happened oh my gosh my thing's not scrolling there we go so what he said was he said don't talk just listen I'm sorry for what I did to Compton I couldn't help it I don't know why I had to stab her I'm so upset about it I keep getting drunk every day but I can't believe I did it it's like a big dream I can't think of being locked up if I get locked up I'll kill myself Oh, okay. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. For some reason, it almost, it sounded to me, I, I'm sure other people were like, you deaf girl, <laughs> but it sounded to me like he said hospital. I mean, he's so whiny about it too. It's hard to hear what he's saying. I know. I'm like, shut the fuck up, bro. Talk. <laughs> so he ends it with, I'll try not to kill anybody else. Oh, okay. Thanks. Cool. <laughs> right. Like, what did he think they were going to say? Like, thanks for not, for trying to not kill anybody. We appreciate cool, cool, that. Cool. <laughs> we'll forgive you this one time. Like, <laughs> so they were able to trace this call because they were like ready for it at this point. So they were able right. to trace the call and it came from a phone booth at a bus station. So obviously by the time they traced the call and they got there, he was long nobody gone. Was, yeah. Nobody was there. Yeah. So they decided to take a little listen to their backlog of recorded calls to try to match his voice to other unsolved crimes, which I think, I think that's smart. Good job, guys. It was then that they realized that this was the same guy that had called five months earlier, begging them to come help 
Karen for Pritchett. that girl, that girl that was at the railroad track. Right. So now they've matched the voice to another case, but unfortunately that's still really all they have to go on because like mm-hmm. I said, Karen's unable to identify her attacker and mm-hmm. there's no witnesses for Kimberly's murder. So police decided that instead of waiting for him to kill again and then call them, that they would release a clip from his phone call to the media in hopes that someone and, would recognize the voice. And see if somebody would know who he was. Okay. Which is a also great plan. Smart, but at the same time... So what I was going to say is great plan, except the only way someone would recognize his voice would be if he just walked around crying in hysterics all the time and just whining. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, there are people that do that. <laughs> you just want to smack them every once in a while. <laughs> but I think it's frowned upon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So police are still at a standstill and the case went completely cold for over a year. Now, there was a brief time about two months after Compton's death. I don't know. A brief? I don't know why I said it like that. (laughs) There was a brief time. (laughs) (laughs) There was a brief time about two months after Compton's death that police had thought they had found their guy. They were (laughs) called. They found somebody whining on the side of the road. (laughs) Not not quite, no. So they were called to a scene where a man named Alan Lopez was holding his family hostage. Oh. Yeah. During negotiations, he told police that he was the guy who was responsible for the murder of Kimberly Compton. Oh, because No, it's a big case. It's all on the news. They're looking for the killer. He was just going through some He was going through some things. (laughs) Yes, he was going through some shit. And it turned out that he had a history of mental illness and a history of of assault. Mm. So he ended up taking his own life in the standoff. And for months and months, they had gotten no other calls from the Weedy Voice killer. So, so they were like, so they thought it really was him. Right. They're like, cool, that was our guy. But then in 1982, there would be two more killings. The first one would take place on July 21st, 1982. Now, this one wasn't linked to the Weedy Voice killer originally for like a couple different reasons. So, one, he never called the police crying and whining, like at all. And two, it was a completely, like the murder was a completely different MO. So the victim, this victim was a 33-year-old school teacher named Kathleen Greening. And she appeared to be the victim of a home invasion, which mm-hmm. was not like anything they'd uh, seen. He didn't, he, he never had broke into anybody's house. Right. And she had been drowned in her own bathtub. So instead oh. of a bludgeoning or a stabbing, this was completely different. Yeah, that's not even close. Right. So they didn't link that at all. It would be several years before police would be able to identify her killer. So the other one was on the morning of August 6, 1982. Police are called to a new crime scene. A paper boy had been doing his morning deliveries and he came across the body of a woman on the bank of the Mississippi River in Minneapolis. The woman was later identified as 40-year-old nurse Barbara Simmons. Simmons had been out at the Hexagon Bar the night before, which is a fun name for a bar, I think. (laughs) While she was at the bar, she was approached by a man that was later identified as Stefani. So we'll get to that. He came up to her and he asked her for a cigarette. So she gives him one and the two start talking. After talking for well over an hour, she told a waitress, he's cute. I hope he's nice because he's giving me a ride home. And she left him. Yeah, she left the bar with him. Now, unfortunately for Simmons, he was not nice, as we know. He was also not cute at all, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like... I know. <laughs> Sorry, I know everyone has their type or whatever, but like, wait till I post this picture. It is not, it's, it's 
it's not my thing for sure I mean there's like the horseshoe hair oh yeah no that's not my thing either yeah but okay okay so instead of giving Barbara a ride home he drove her to the riverbank where he then beat her and stabbed her over 100 times 100 over 100 times over 100 times her stab wounds were circular in shape and it was believed that she had been stabbed with either a screwdriver or an ice pick and then here's an interesting little fact that the police hadn't really put together at this point because they haven't put any of them together really at this point you'll have that (laughs) Uh, you'll, you'll get that on on the bigger jobs every one of his victims had been wearing red every single one yeah huh. so i don't know if he had some kind of like cartoon bull complex and just like <laughs> lost his shit every time he saw red <laughs> but i thought that was an interesting little factory so i don't know two days after simmons body was found police received yet another disturbing phone call so let me play you this clip Let's see if you can hear it Fire emergency. Please don't talk to Blessing. I'm sorry, I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one. Oh my face. Oh, oh, I, I don't know what's the matter me. I'm sick. I'm going to kill myself, I think. Where I, are you? There's so many guys with a red kid on it. It's me. I killed all the think of is you know like the kids that are like being so over dramatically crying where they got like the snot bubbles like where they start like hyperventilating and like yes like mom i see that a lot at work when we give shots so yes i do know that kid yeah um, i'm sure you cannot understand anything he was saying so i'm gonna I, tell you i under i understood a little bit um the very beginning where he was like i didn't mean to kill her yes so he started with please don't talk just listen that's how i started (laughs) and he goes i'm sorry i killed that girl i stabbed her 40 times kimberly compton was the first one over in saint paul i don't know what's the matter with me i'm sick i'm just going to kill myself i think i'm just going to if somebody dies with a red shirt on it's me i've killed more people i'll never make it to heaven um no bitch you won't like you're going straight to Hades <laughs> in the deepest pits of hell yes so that was that and then he hung up like hysterical he just like cries hysterically calls him like word vomits in their I ears wonder, I wonder hangs he, up. I wonder when when he does that when he hangs up if he's like and seen <laughs> right <laughs> oh my god <laughs> where he's just like right <laughs> So at this point, police are like, we have a serial killer on our hands, y'all, a super whiny serial killer. So they reached out to the FBI and FBI profiler, Kimberly Masnick made like put together a profile like they do on the criminal lines. You know, I love watching that. Mm -hmm. Um, She theorized that the killer is somebody who during the calls would go into a completely juvenile state, which makes sense. If you look at the, like he, like you were saying, he's like one of those little kids Mm -hmm. when they're in hysterics. And she said that this killer was someone who's wanting to play like a sort of cat and mouse game with police, which is also very juvenile and also totally fucked that someone would murder someone and then try to turn it into a game. But that's basically what he's doing. He's like mocking them. I mean, we're talking about Robert Hansen again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's kind of reminds me of a Leonardo DiCaprio, like catch me if you can type of situation. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. during this time, investigators were talking to Simmons' family and friends, trying to piece together her last day before the murder. This is when they found out that she was at the Hexagon Bar that night. And then, so they like, okay, cool, let's start there. They go to the bar, they question the bar staff. And that's when they learned that she left with an unidentified white male. The bar staff didn't know the man, but they were able to describe him pretty well. They're like, this is what he looked like. I'd recognize him when I saw him again. So police are like, challenge accepted. And they started coming through their records to find men that matched the description that they had gotten and also had previous records of assault or like violent crimes. Right. Basically, they were like, we really have nothing to go on and we have to start somewhere. So let's start here. So they presented a photo lineup of eight suspects to the bar staff who were immediately like, yo, this is the guy. And the man they identified was 37-year-old Paul Michael Stefani. So police were like, sweet, this is our dude. But they couldn't arrest him since they had like zero evidence. Didn't have proof. <laughs> right. Yeah, they didn't have anything. They had nothing tying to the murder. So they were like, cool, cool, cool. We'll just follow him around for a bit and keep an eye on him. Well, they didn't keep that great of an eye on him because on August 20th- they killed another person. <laughs> well- August 20th, two weeks after the murder of Barbara Simmons, Stefani is out on the prowl again. He drove to East Minneapolis, where he soon approached 19-year-old sex worker Denise Williams. Denise happened to be wearing red that night, by the way. Hmm. Stefani offered Denise $100 for her services, which she accepted, and the two went back to his apartment in St. Paul, where they proceeded to have sex. Afterwards, Paul offered to give Denise a ride home. As they drove back towards Minneapolis, Denise realized that something seemed off. So instead of taking the highway, Stefani was driving down like side roads and back roads, mm. which made her super nervous because like, why? So Stefani pulled the car into a dark secluded parking lot, turned the car off, and then aggressively demanded that Denise pay him for the ride. Seeing his demeanor change so drastically and suddenly Denise panicked and like scrambled to get out of the car but Stefani pulled her back in and grabbed a screwdriver out of his glove box and stabbed her in the abdomen. So she struggled to get out as he stabbed her again. So he's just like going at it. Uh. Now we have a badass bitch alert. Ooh. So ooh, I like yes, these. we do like these. So Denise knew that if she wanted to, to get away, she was going to have to find a weapon and like fight her ass off. So she reaches down on the floorboard and she comes up with like a glass Coke bottle. And she's like, this will work. So <laughs> she, <laughs> she busted the bottle over his head, like smashed it into pieces over his head. So now she has a broken glass bottle in her hand. And she's like, this will also work. <laughs> so she starts just like swiping it at him, like stabbing at him, going to town. She like sliced his face open in the process. And also, so then after she sliced his face, he put his hand up to try to block his face and she sliced his hand. Mm. So in a panic, he opens the car door and they both like go stumbling out and they're still struggling. Denise starts screaming for help. A young man named Douglas Panning, who lived nearby, heard Denise's screams, ran over and grabbed Stefani's arm because he was still holding the screwdriver and like swinging it around, trying to stab her. Stefani then lunged at Douglas and Douglas was like, nope. And he, <laughs> ran, back <laughs> and he ran back to his house to call police. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm going to go out this way. He I'm was sorry. Like, everyone for their own. He was like, I ain't trying to get stabbed. Everyone for themselves. No. So he goes off to call police because he ain't trying to get stabbed. 
Right. And he gets home. He calls police. Stefani's like, the jig is up. And he gets into his car and speeds off. <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> Bitch knows where I live. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he gets into his car and he speeds off, just leaving Denise for dead. But she was not dead. She and Douglas waited for help and she was taken to the hospital and treated for her injuries and made a full recovery. She was shown mug shots of Stefani and she was like, yeah, that's definitely the dude. So police are like, okay, we need to bring him in at this point. Like that was attempted murder. We can definitely arrest him. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I thought y'all were watching him. What are you doing? <laughs> we have our evidence now. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for taking one for the team. <laughs> right? <laughs> So what they didn't realize at this point was exactly how super easy it was going to be to bring him in. <laughs> so remember, Denise gotten a few good licks on him. Right. After he fled the scene, he goes back to his apartment and he realizes how bad a shape he's in. He's like, I better go to the hospital. <laughs> well, he's got this massive head wound. <laughs> he's like bleeding profusely. So what does he do? He goes to the hospital where oh. she's at. <laughs> no, not quite close. He does oh, okay. what anybody would do in an emergency. He calls 911. Oh my God, that's even worse. <laughs> I'm not going to drive myself. I better just call the police. <laughs> right. So he tries to kill this woman. She beats his ass and then he calls for an ambulance because he's scared for his own life. Now, what he didn't realize when he was talking to the 911 dispatcher and telling him that he'd been beaten up was, was they already had cops on the way. <laughs> well, the dispatcher already knew who he was because they had all been briefed on his crimes and like the previous phone calls. So when he calls, the dispatcher immediately recognized his whiny ass voice. Oh my God. So he sends an ambulance to the address that he provided, like his home address that he provided to them. <laughs> He's smart. <laughs> He's smart. <laughs> and then the dispatcher is like, okay, here's the ambulance. Let me just notify the police. <laughs> so when Stefani arrived at the hospital in the ambulance, the police were already there to greet him. <laughs> They're like, hey, bro. <laughs> What's <you> up? <laughs> right. <laughs> Once his injuries were tended to, Stefani was transported to the police station, where he was then led directly to an interrogation room. We're just going to put these butterfly band-aids on you real fast. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Let's go talk. Um, at this point, he thinks that they brought him there to take an official report on what happened to him because he had told them that he'd been- He's the victim. <laughs> right. He had been robbed and beaten up. That's what he told them. So what he- didn't realize what was that they already knew what he'd done so at first they're like tell me what happened oh okay wow that really sucks yeah hey while you're here can you take a look at something for me so they opened up their file on the weepy voice killer and start showing all the pictures of and the they, dead start, women. they start pulling out photos of the victims and they're like you know this girl you know this girl right all right here's the here's the cue for you to fake cry come on so his demeanor changed instantly he became super anxious looking and his voice became much more high-pitched. <laughs> like he literally transformed into the weepy voice killer right before their eyes. <laughs> but he did not confess to anything that day. He knew it was one thing to call and anonymously, an, anonymously confess. But if he confessed now to police, that would bring on some major consequences for him. So he was like, no, he maintained his innocence. He's like, I, I, well, I yeah, because he wants to try to make a deal. 
Right. So police were like, that's cool. We have enough evidence to charge you for the attempted murder of Denise Williams. And let's go ahead and charge you for the murder of Barbara Simmons because we have that bartender's testimony that makes you the last person to have been with her right before she was murdered. So mm-hmm. yeah. During the trial, the prosecutees called Stefani's sister to the stand. And they had her listen to the recordings made by the weepy voice killer. His own sister identified the caller on the recordings as her brother. <laughs> so that yeah, is not that's him. Look. I heard that damn voice <laughs> growing up. <laughs> Little bitch ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's not a good look for him. No. Um, <laughs> if, it was, if it was us growing up, Michael would have thrown a can of green beans at us. I was going to say a remote. Yeah, it's not a remote for sure. In April of 1985, after a long and dr- are you okay? <laughs> just, I just think it's so funny. His sister's like, yep, that fucking little bitch. <laughs> Definitely him. Yep. So in April of 1985, after a long and drawn out trial, Stefano was convicted on all the charges against him and he was sentenced he was sentenced to 18 years for the attack on Denise and 40 years for the murder of Barbara Simmons. But wait, there's more. So <laughs> it's an infomercial, but wait, there's more. In December of 1997, shit got real for Stefani. 53-year-old Paul was diagnosed with an aggressive skin cancer that had already metastasized all throughout his body. He was given less than a year to live. So now, after over a decade of maintaining his innocence, Stefani decided it was time to clear his conscience, you know, because he's still trying to get into heaven and all. Mm. So he tells police he has some things to tell them, but he needed a little something from them first. And they were like, ugh, what? And he told them he wanted a photograph of his mother's headstone. So they were like, okay we can do that weird request but okay yeah they're like super simple requests so they gave him the picture and he confessed to everything he told them all about the attack on karen potak the first one he told them about the murder of kimberly compton and then he threw them a curveball that they weren't really expecting so this is when he described a different type of murder one that didn't want the one that he drowned right So he didn't know the victim's name or couldn't remember any identifying information on her, only that he had drowned her in her own bathtub. And police were like, say what now? So he went into detail and told police that he'd been watching this woman loading things into her car from his own parked car across the street. He told them that she had been wearing a red shirt. Then it was like he had an out-of-body experience, he told them. Mm. He said before he knew it, he was out of his car and he was in her house. And he said he could hear her in the bathroom and walked in to see that she was running herself a bath. Next thing he knew, he was holding her head under the water. He told them he thought to himself, stop it, you're killing her, but he just couldn't stop. So police are like, what what the fuck? (laughs) We didn't see that coming. Who is he even talking about? They eventually were able to connect this confession to the murder of Kathleen Greeny, an unsolved case they had never even thought to connect to him because it was completely different mo than the weepy voice killer and there was no phone call from him for this one they were right like, right so paul michael stefani died on june 12 1998 less than six months after his final confession right he never offered any explanation for his crimes no motivation never explained his actions He insisted that he felt super guilty and confused about his crimes and that he had just lost control. 
So some people believe that he made his phone calls because his parents had been so religious when he was younger. So he knew that after you commit a sin, you're supposed to confess that sin. Some people believe that he really did lose control of himself during these brutal attacks and that he really was overcome with guilt after. And so the hysterics was real. And then some people think it was just like a sick, twisted game that he was playing with. Right. Either way, he's gone now and didn't hardly have to serve much of his time at all. That really sucks that he didn't have to serve that much, though. Yep. I agree. And that is the case of Paul Michael Stefani. The weepy voice killer. Gwen Stefani's father. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Gwen, when we hurt you, it's not. We know it's not. <laughs> don't, don't do us. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. He's like, that totally is slander. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I was totally, totally joking. Totally JK. So you didn't know that one? You didn't know that one? No, I didn't. I didn't know that one. Yeah. It was uh, probably because I avoid the annoying ones. <laughs> well, I, I was like, I'm I need kidding. something. No, I was like, I need something interesting. Like, I don't want same old, same old. And right. also, I was like looking up serial killer names and I'm like, weepy voice killer. And I'd heard this one before, like a long time ago on podcasts. Like, I honestly haven't heard that one. I don't know that I've. I've heard it at all. So yeah, I think that's funny. I heard it a long time ago. And then when I saw the Weep Voice Killer, I was like, I forgot about him. Yeah, so then I'm he's a little bitch ass booch. <laughs> I'm researching and it, all of a sudden there's this link that says, listen to the calls. And I was like, yes, please. And then I was like, oh, no, please. That is, I could have done without that. <laughs> I just was smack you myself. <laughs> right. So yeah, that is that. So okay. yeah. So yeah, follow us on all the stuff. Follow our yeah. junk. Follow our junk. <laughs> follow it like it subscribe it review it you know you know the you know unless unless you're gonna like review bad things don't do that i mean (laughs) everybody everybody you always got the negative nancies out there you're gonna have those it's okay it's okay we've got this we love you all whether you're positive or negative we we got the thick skin I do not. Ooh. I will cry. <laughs> I mean, I got thick skin. <laughs> She's got, got thick, thick skin. skin. I'll cry about it. It's cool. I, I, I might punch <laughs> it down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, that's that on that. Your turn next week. Top the weepy voice killer. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I might. I might just do that. <laughs> might you? You're like challenge accepted. <laughs> I mean bring it bitch <laughs> no, I'm oh it's already been brought in <laughs> all right well okay you want to be awkward i want to be awkward let's be awkward okay, okay. bye bye